So are you up for a uh, long or short walk? This way is uh, the long way, so that's oh. 10k. Okay. This is uh, more like uh, three and a half. I mean, I don't have any drinks with me. Do you have any no. like supplies? No. <laughs> and we uh, take the short one and... Uh, we can do two rounds, yeah, for instance. If, uh, huh? if we feel like it, yeah. Only thing is that we just uh, hope we make it back on, at the airport in time. Welcome to the Path Puddles Products Podcast. This is Yuli. In today's episode, we will take you guys to the city of Stavanger in Norway, where I went for a walk with Morten Pedersen. Sorry, Morten, for the way how I pronounce your name. I swear I tried. Morten is a founder of a relatively young company called Canoe, based out of Stavanger. We talked about how a new age service design slash intervention design agency is constructed in the Nordics, what principles it is run by, how design is doing in that region, what it is supported by and what is the future for it. Come join us for this walk. It is a great opportunity to hear the specifics about that region, which is a world leader in participatory practices and how design is integrated into business. Hear the details in our conversation with Morten. Hi, Morten. Hi, Julie. Welcome, everybody else, to back to the podcast. We are in a special location, or let's say an unusual location, to say the very least. You want to give a visual, a bit of an introduction where we are? Yeah, we are on the, on the countryside outside of Stavanger in, in Norway. Going to, down to a, a lake here and we're together with Max. That's my dog. Yes. Julia has come and visited us. Yeah, there is no podcast without a dog walking with us. It is a beautiful day with a bit of a wind, which you might hear in our conversation. Super sunny, but chilly. After a couple of days of super heavy wind and some rain, so it's nice that nice to be out in nature and see it. So why are we here, and how did we how did we get here, Morten? Oh, we got here. Got here through a common friend. Yeah. I was on the podcast earlier this year, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, correct. Yeah, Kata, but she's the one that uh, made the introduction, and I've participated in uh, in the program that you set up with Isabel. Yes. As the next. And I guess that's where it's uh, coming from. Yeah, we decided to meet in person and explore options, what we could do in the world together, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a bit of a short introduction. As the next is a workshop series that started out in September with the premise to explore how to bridge the gap between what service design can do and uh, what business is um is open to receive. And we invited a bunch of designers uh, from around the world and gathered in a quite a nice global think tank. And that's where this conversation started. So Morten is uh, a founder of a relatively new company based in Stavanger. Would you like to tell me about this company? Yes, it's uh, first of all, it's called Canoe. It's a design agency, I guess. We're still finding our feet. 
Yeah. And experimenting a little bit with what is it that we're going to deliver. I think we're, we've come a, a long way. But we started out in April 2022. It was not a, not a joke. The April best fooled. time. Yeah. And we started out with the three. We used to run a local chapter of a bigger Norwegian design consultancy here in Stavanger. So we knew each other from before. And we were quickly joined by three others. And then now 12 in total. We deliver services within organizational design and digital design, so product development and service design. I thought it would be super interesting to talk with you about both your company and your experiences on the field because you come from <laughs> a, a different background than most designers do that I have talked to, even though that has diversified in the past couple of years as well. Yeah. Did you come from an organizational development background, right? Yes, I've uh, been working 16 years now with in the interface between uh, strategy and organizational development and design. Spent a good 10 years of those uh, 16 with, with my primary focus to uh, lead change processes and leadership development and, and other organizational development kind of activities. I always missed a human-centric entry into that. Yeah. Oftentimes, change is uh, initiated by we should just have a development program or an idea that uh, something is not working. So now we need someone to fix it. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about design that the expectation is that um, from the get-go is that you go in and, and work with a user-centric focus. In my opinion, the users can both, uh, in any process, can both be a customer that is buying a product or it could be an employee or it could be both. Yeah. And that has worked out really well. What we have done both previous uh, starting up a company then and in the company now is uh, making sure that uh, we follow all the initiative all the way through implementation and, and also the realization of value. So we tend to stick around for a long time. When did um, design or this user-centric approach merged with the organizational development work for you? What, what is your memory of that? The story was that I tried to uh, recruit one of the people that I work with uh, now as well, uh, who started out Canoe together with me and, and another one. He tried to recruit me as well. <laughs> Did you try to like counter recruit each other? Yes. <laughs> and, he, and he won the fight. So uh, <laughs> I joined the design agency instead of him joining the organizational development okay. team. Okay. Yeah. And I was very lucky because uh, back then they won a framework agreement with the organization that, that owns and runs and is responsible for all the hospital here on the West Coast in Norway. And uh, I got into the hospital here together okay. with my colleague Annie. And the assignment from them was, first of all, to insight on the hospital staff, but also the patient that uh, comes in and stay just a day and sign out again. And later on, it was also expanded to insight on the overnight patients. They wanted that to result in new concepts or new ways of doing services or whatever the insight would, uh, would tell us uh, would make most sense. 
One of the great things was that we got to, to work very closely together with the hospital staffs. And we talked about from that from the get-go that we need to make sure that it's not us uh, from a design background that uh, comes in and do the work and do the presentation. We need to do it together because this is about ownership as well and it's about alignment. And if we want any chance of uh, succeeding, we cannot wait with a big review. We need to co-create. And that's where it started and, and ended up in a range of uh, new things uh, for the hospital uh, a new service where that we uh, co-created together with them, but also many other activities. And we are still in a relationship with them and, and doing work for them and, and currently looking at, at how can we take their employees and uh, support them in a transition to a new hospital. It's the biggest infrastructure project in, in Norway right now. So it's 8,000 employees that needs to transition to a new, new space that is designed completely different from the old one. Hmm. And how, how was your experience merging these two fields? Was it in any way surprising? How did you marry the two disciplines? What I see is in design, you're, you're very good at the, um, collecting insights. Yes. And brought up with the, like with the idea of being curious and being empathetic and lean in towards the person that you're sitting in front of and really withholding judgment of what it is that you yeah. hear. That's the ideal and it's one of the real strengths about designers in, in general, I think. Where I feel that designers can learn a little bit is is how they apply that uh, curiosity. So the different uh, tools and methods that you use. For example, I come from a background where I've uh, done a a lot of uh, coaching and okay. used a lot of lot from psychology and, and behavior. And that came really helpful in the way that you create trust and in the way that uh, you get people to talk about more than what they are thinking. Like you put different lenses in front of people so they see their own situation in different, yes. from different perspectives. Yes. And that was one thing that helped quite a bit. So any that I was uh, doing it together with was very good at structuring insight and was very good at making sure that we got the full picture. I think some of my practices from before really helped in getting deep on the inside with the people that we that we talked with. So that uh, combination is uh, went well. But then also, also other things like considering the the complete system and considering the decision lines. A good example here is like budgets and at least in a hospital here, which is um, divided by area. Okay. So you have, an, have a department that could be gastro. Yes. And they have their own budget. But if you have patients that need services from gastro and need services from another department, if there's expenses that goes across the different uh, departments, how do you deal with that? Because oftentimes it can be, be expensive things that you have to use on complicated yeah, patients. Yeah. And when you say, how do you deal with that? That's a question for the organization. Is that right? Yeah, or in, uh, a question for us to figure out how can we experiment with figuring out solutions so yeah. that it doesn't stand in the way yeah. of actually treating a patient, but it often do. Yeah, this topic ventures into the area of what we experience in the industry is that maybe user-centric design or the user-centric approach has found its foot already. Yeah. Also, business starts to, it starts to become 
common language at least yeah. within business circles. Yeah. But when we talk about everything that happens behind the line of visibility, yeah, yeah. How, what is your experience with that? How easily can you navigate that? I think it's a, it's a hard question. I know. <laughs> One of the things that has been helpful for us is to look at all change as an employee journey and design it as an employee journey as well. And I think that's super important that we include the employees and the system as a user as well. What's the response to that on client side? They love it because they get heard and they get seen and they're taken seriously. That's nice. It's almost purely a good experience for people. And when you say for people, is that reflected through the hierarchy of the organization, both on the top and on on the ops level? It's the complete system. Like there is no one that is more employee than the other. But there are people who are responsible for the budget. Yeah, yeah. What I'm no. trying to get to with this is to do that part of the work also means time, means uh, resources, yeah, yeah. both time dedicated on the client side as well and money. Yeah, but the money is there and the budget is there because they are doing the change program anyway. Mm. And it's just a matter of who is uh, actually driving those change programs. And what kind of attitudes are driving that uh, change program? And that's what I'm talking about. That's the space that we have claimed more over the years, that we do implementation of new services, new initiatives. And we see that as an employee-driven journey. And how did you claim more space in that? I think it's um, a little bit coincidence. And then uh, some great ambassadors... It started uh, in a project that uh, I wasn't part of, in our old uh, workplace, uh, X-Design. Okay. X1, a project at uh, the airport in, in Oslo. And um, that was, had a lot to do with a woman called uh, Anne Beate Hovin, who was the project leader of, they build a new terminal. And uh, a lot of the airports that have done that, it has gone terribly wrong when uh, when they have... Um, open the new terminal, the, like the organization hasn't been ready for all the things that it requires, uh, handling baggage, yes. uh, all those kind of things. So I cannot remember the, so don't uh, get caught up on the number of people, but someplace between 12 and 17,000 employees had to go through a oh, program yeah. in order to actually get a new key card for the terminal. That was a project that the eggs at that time uh, designed as an employee journey. That was also the time where, where the, we defined it as both an employee-driven journey, but also a learning journey. Okay. We have been delivering learning for organizations ever since. Let's uh, get back to Canoe. Yeah. So you said that you were in a managing role at a company for many years here. Yeah. And then, boom... You decided, hey, I'm going to start my own journey. Why did you decide for that? At that time, Eggs Designer got uh, acquired by a larger consultancy, by Superstelia, yeah. so a big uh, French consultancy. And, and one of the most important things for me when, when working in a company is, uh, is minimizing administrative overhead. 
That was one of my worries when uh, we got acquired by a larger company. We had a uh, leadership development program at the time uh, here locally, and uh, there was this uh, psychologist that asked a lot of difficult questions, and uh, we figured out that uh, we wanted to do something else. And then we had to act on it quickly. Uh, that was I believe, our belief back then, that uh, we cannot sit on, on this feeling. Either we go out and do something new, or we stay and, and stay. We shouldn't drag it out for a long time. So we decided to build something new. And so when you say that it happened, there's another scenery over there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and Julie is taking pictures all over the place. <laughs> yes. So when you say that this decision happened quickly, what are we talking about? Within a week. That's quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's because we had the responsibility for, for people and uh, for profit. And this was also part of like a big change process. I think it's the right thing to do. If that's something that we wanted to do, then we should also act on it immediately. Yeah. Okay, so you knew that that was not the way forward. You needed to find another way forward. Yeah. How did you know what the way forward would be? No, we didn't. So uh, uh, we had some ideas, I think, and, and some experience by running an office. Like our previous employer had a lot of great things about it. They had a clearer goal about being the best workplace for creatives. Absolutely love that, and, and, and that's something that I want to continue. Uh, there was also some legacy that, uh, that was standing in, a little bit in the way, uh, at least from, from my perspective. And that's something that we're trying to change now uh, in our own company. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Once we met these lovely doggies, there is a doggy meeting ahead. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Hi. So what, what did you mean by legacy challenges? One of the things that we value the most is um, quality. So that's super important. So one of the things that we have implemented is uh, a decision principle that everything that we decide we need to be able to publish it on, online. So show the world it and show it to each other. That principle also governs our, our salary model, how we have done that. It's inspired by other consultancies as well, but um, we have an open salary model where there's no difference if uh, uh, no matter what uh, sex you have or uh, the position in the company, it's based on how much uh, experience you have. Okay. And we count that experience from uh, 25 and up. So how many years since you turned 25? Okay. What happens if you hire someone who is younger than 25? Then we need to look at the scalability of the... I guess maybe that's the base, base salary then. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. But I couldn't imagine that we would hire someone below 25, at least not for now. Yeah. We try to hire senior designers. And senior people that can stand on their own two feet. Yeah. And what that gives us, uh, just to be clear on that, is, is that you cannot argue for salary. It's a it's take it or leave it situation. And it's the same thing with all the benefits that we have. It's the same thing applies to all. And if we were to change our model, then it's something that needs to go up to the board and, and uh, be a formal decision like that. Uh, so that removes a lot of the the arguments that we could have had. If you want to take a role and take a responsibility, that's uh, more than fine. But it doesn't 
become a fight for role or title because of uh, financials. We all make the same. We quickly put a price on different activities. So taking the management role is seen as more valuable than uh, taking care of maybe some of the more invisible work. Yeah. Like making sure that uh, there's flowers on, on the tables when, when we go in there at the morning. And, and we try to divide responsibility like that. That you do whatever you, you want to drive. And, um, and we try to evaluate, are we doing the right things? And then we put them out for grabs. And we want it to be a shared responsibility between all. So, in other words, just to check if I got it right. Yeah. So that means that the company does not have a management layer per se. Everyone also ha everyone in the company has billable hours to clients. Yeah. And on top of that, um, you can raise your hand if you wanted to take part in one or another responsibility. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And what happens if you don't raise your hand? Oh, that's fine. If you have a lot of available time, then you have some sort of a problem because I, I think you need to fill that time with things that provide value. And that's another principle here that everybody should contribute to the value creation. And, and that can go two ways. It can be either in the projects for clients or it can be internal development work. Do you have any framework to run this system in place or is this playing by ear at the moment? Right now it's by experimentation. All the things that we finalize is we wanted to make sure that it's scalable and that it passes the principle that uh, we can we can actually publish it online. That means also that uh, our decision-making process is fast in, in some ways because we allow for initiative and, uh, and experiments. But if we have bigger decisions, they probably yeah. take longer time for us. In order for you to run this experimental approach, if I can call it that, yeah. <laughs> safely, there are some measures that you have implemented, like the way that you try to recruit, for example, right? Yeah, so yeah. How, you, how do you select people to yeah. come into this space so you feel the experiment can stay on track? Yeah, so what we expect from, from everybody is, uh, as I said before, they, they need to be able to stand on their own two feet. Mm. So... Uh, what that means is not that uh, you should uh, master all the disciplines of running a company or running yeah. as a freelancer. Or um, so somebody is uh, is very good and talented just in in their projects and 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 are really good at uh, navigating that space. That's fine. Uh, some some people are really good at sales. Uh, so we have those uh, strengths and weaknesses, all of us. But we try to. Hire people with seniority that has the experience with uh, running both uh, projects and uh, running clients and also has some experience with attracting work. So when you decided to do this, what was the drive behind the choice to do something on your own versus join something that already existed? It was because I, I worked really with the best people that uh, I've ever worked with. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think I have uh, incredibly talented uh, colleagues. We're both friends and, and colleagues, but we're also able to uh, be in conflict and not shy out of that, but also landed on a good way. 
when you top that with people who are really incredible, good in projects and good with delivering value for customers and somebody that you can learn from and uh, look up to and uh, sometimes they can do the same to you. Uh, I think that's uh, that's not every day that you find that. As I said before, I don't think administrative overhead is a wise choice in any place. In many ways, it's a signal of things not running as they should if we need to invent roles in order to make sure that people put in their dishes in the dishwasher, for example. Or... So you don't have a cleaning staff? Yeah, we have someone that comes and cleans on Saturdays, but we don't have an office manager or we don't have any anybody working dedicated with HR. So how does this happen, at least to, to circle around responsibilities? My, my assumption is that before someone can raise a hand, the, the issue needs to be raised. So for example, oh, Christmas decoration yeah, yeah. needs to be talked about before Christmas comes. So how do these topics come up in conversation? I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, Christmas decorations, <laughs> uh, at least not early. I think it's okay in December, but uh, we have other people where everybody knows where their company card is. Okay. As long as you ask for some kind of advice from somebody, yeah. is, this a, is this a good decision? And uh, as long as you use your own head, uh, am I overspending now? Um, is it? A, but if it's like small amounts, then it costs more to go and uh, have uh, decision processes around. Can somebody buy decoration for Christmas? Do you have an amount set? What is small and what is big? No, I, I maybe it uh, needs to come at one point, I, I, but I don't think so. I, I, my experience so far is that people manage that uh, really well. Okay. Because like everybody else, we are dependent on uh, having a, a healthy uh, liquidity in the company. Of course, there can be sometimes if we haven't invoiced uh, enough or if uh, customers don't pay. We're still a young company, so so there can be sometimes when we need to save. But yes. then we also we share those numbers openly, and so everybody knows where we are on, in the landscape at at all time. And and I feel that people are very good at. When trusted with responsibility, they are very good at uh, taking that as well. How about ownership? What's your hope for that in the future? We want everybody to be owners in the company. And there's no requirements to become an owner, except that you have to uh, be past your probation time. That's six months here in, in Norway. And then you get an offer to buy yourself in, and that's a set valuation of the company at all times at 160,000 Norwegian kroners per employee. So that's uh, very cheaply. And then we have set an, a max to how much you can buy over three years. Okay. So you can buy for 24,000 Norwegian kroners each year for three years. How much interest from people have you received to do that in the future? Every, everybody wants to participate in, in that. Yeah, uh, It's also one of our, our values that the that we should act like owners, all of us. And uh, people really do. And I think that both has to do with the transparency, but also the trust in taking responsibility and the openness about it and, and continuous focus on uh, on sharing burdens. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that everybody should do equal amounts in, in everything, but sales is like one good example that... We have all different experiences with it and different competences with it, but 
sales should never lie with one or two. Mm-hmm. It should lie with everybody. And you should understand your role in it and, and how it works if you're in the project and you upsell in, in that project or how we approach new clients and, and so forth. I mean, so far what you have said, it really paints a picture of like a beautiful paradise situation. <laughs> Has there been any unexpected challenges that you encountered? Yeah, of, of course. First of all, it's as for many design agencies, we are also feeling the times that we're living in. We are challenged with how much steel do we need in order to make sure that we, that we land the projects that we need to land. And how much freedom do we give and patience? Yes. Right? So it's a, it's a really tricky balancing act to make sure that you're doing the right things for the right reasons, that you're attracting the right projects that's in line with what you want to achieve. I don't think there's a one model fits it all. So I think in, in times of our life as a company, we need to steer more than others. And then we need to figure out how does that work based on the initiative. And maybe it will continue to work based on initiative. I think we need to, uh, to look out for that. And we need to have mechanisms in place that make sure that we take our responsibility as a company to run in a safe and healthy manner. When you say mechanisms, how do you imagine building those? Is this something that you want to design together with the people in the company? Yeah, yeah. Because right now it's uh, more like the mechanisms is, uh, is people. And yeah, it, it feels like, like a free farming chicken, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, people is a very good mechanism to have as long as you have the people. But if, uh, <laughs> yes. if someone for, that is used to taking responsibility and, the, and that person is sick or, or decides to leave or we need to be able to survive that. So it's too vulnerable only to have the people as the mechanism. And when do you think that moment comes that you need to build these structures? No, we are in it uh, right now. And you, men- you mentioned that it has not been an easy period in for design agencies here either. No. I thought it would be lovely to talk to you a little bit about design work in Scandinavia because anywhere else in the world seems to be the legendary place to come to if you want to do that. Yeah. As a place that is welcoming and maybe not the weather, but otherwise warm yeah. towards yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. approach. What is your take on it? How do you see it? Maybe not so much here in Norway, but in, in the other Scandinavian countries, we have a long history with design and being well known for design. So first of all, that helps. Like the history of design. Yes. And, and that's primarily on uh, furniture design, of course. Yes. And, but also architecture. Norway is coming along now, but they don't have the same rich history. And then we have a history, history of uh, collaboration and uh, very flat hierarchies in the Scandinavian countries that also helps out. So, so people are used to the way of thinking and working. Maybe not the methodologies and, and such, but all the principles behind you need to collaborate in order to to get a sustainable solution. So that helps. Then for service design, especially here in, in Norway, we've been very lucky to get support from the government as well, that uh, they have put out uh, directives to 
all the cities and all the other public institutions that design and especially service design is one of the prioritized methods of uh, creating an innovative uh, public se sector. Okay, when did this happen? In 2019, if, not, if I'm not mistaken. And how has it changed the landscape? Has it changed the landscape? Yes, uh, so the Association for, for Municipalities here have uh, started design programs and uh, is working on promoting that. We have uh, also governmental-supported uh, programs that support design and design-driven innovation in, uh, in the public sector. So you can apply as a city or as a, a public se sector institution for funds. Then design needs to be the primarily used innovation method. So I've been in a couple of those projects, and that goes a long way, but also just design getting more well-known in, uh, in cities and other public institutions. So we see that uh, quite a lot of business is coming from uh, the public sector on design, especially service design. The public sector is uh, it's not always that it pays the premium price, okay. but, it, but it can. It's not too bad here. But it, it's a great safety network to have because even though there's more hassle with getting the assignments and getting the framework agreements that you need in order to qualify, then it's often time sizable projects as well that you can count on. Yeah. So that's really great. And I think the, the work with the hospital that I mentioned before is yes. an example of that. <laughs> I hope people can hear us. <laughs> yes, we are still here. <laughs> Last night, the weather. At times, I had a feeling like Dorothy from Oz, you know, that we will be blown away with the whole house. Yeah. What about businesses? I mean, let me, let me extend this question, okay? Yeah. Because I mentioned in the beginning that we started in deeper conversation because of this workshop series that I launched with Isabel Fringer, my partner in Service Design Next. Why did you join that? Because from everything you say, it seems like it's just smooth sailing in Norway. What, what, uh, where do you see the problems are here in that realm? No, but as I said, we, we also feel the turbulent times here. And a lot of design companies have uh, struggled. I know that uh, also here. Budgets are smaller and, and the first ones to suffer is uh, all the consultancies. Yeah. Not only design consultancies, but others as well. So I, I, I think that's a worldwide thing at the moment. The thing here is in Norway is that uh, Norway is a wealthy country from before, so a lot of solid institutions that can afford it still. And also you have uh, businesses in sectors that tend to go up when there's crisis in the world, so the whole energy sector here in Norway, yeah, which is really big. So one of the, the big clients of ours right now is, is in the energy sector with the renewable uh, energy. That's also a lucky situation to be in, that, that yeah. there is some well-funded companies out there that do well when others don't, where you know that they have enough margins as well to pay their own bills and keep the flow of, of designers as well. Where do you think uh, there is most room for improvement for the presence of design in business here, other than you know short budgets? Because that's just a financial issue. That's a good question. I mean, you can also say that there is none. No, but that's not true. It's, uh, I'm not sure if it goes for only Norway, but 
I feel that there is a need to understand more of the context that we're that we're delivering services in. For example, if you want to work in renewable energy, that's a very technical domain and a complex domain. And if you want to go in and deliver value, it's important that you also invest time and effort in actually understanding the context that you're part of. And understanding the context that you're being part of is not only understanding how the windmills work. (laughs) Yes. But it's also about understanding the whole ecosystem surrounding those windmills that needs to be put up. How the business model works, how the organizational setup works, how the funding of project works, what kind of people work there, what's the history, and all these these kind of things. And, and I think that there is a little bit of lack of that in the design world, proper contextual and systemic understanding. I, I think that's ability that we need to develop so the systemic part of it so that's one and the other as a result of that is getting a little bit more specialized because there is and i know that not all will agree with me but that's my take on it but i do think it helps with when you immediately understand a sector and understand what drives the decision of course, it, it can be dangerous if that takes away the curiosity and uh, the open mind and open heart to when you go into stuff. It's not meant like that, but but you come a long way with, with understanding the context that you're a part of. Another thing that is close to my heart, and, and maybe it's not strange based on what we've been talking about, but I do think that we need to take ownership of a larger piece of the value chain in the projects that we do and get our hands dirty with all the messy stuff that happens in implementation, but also in realization. And think about design as a real and true end-to-end process. It doesn't mean that we need to be experts or specialized in all the steps of that process. Uh, But we need to be able to go into that domain, at least as a company, to provide valuable support because the human-centered approach is dearly needed in all the steps. Yeah. That's my true belief that, uh, and why I believe that design will and have a thing to say and uh, is an important part of the mix of realizing the change that we need. But it means also challenging a little bit what is our abilities and another thing if uh, it's I have a hard time to stop now but uh, (laughs) another thing is uh, to consider the role of the designer the best service we can provide for for projects is to think of ourselves as as helpers of the project yeah and not the people who are there to impress (laughs) yes but people who are there to serve Yes. And to help create movement in a direction that is uh, helpful for the people involved. Yes. That's a tough one for many because we come from a history of of wanting to impress with what we produce. Uh, We want to win awards. Uh, We want to uh, have strong visual portfolios that the people say are cool and uh, nice and that they look up to. And that's a change in mindset of what your delivery really is. Designers should uh, deliver change and not portfolio pieces. You mentioned that 
design has a harder hard time to extend its attention and maybe activity beyond to what it was doing before. So as in dealing with business models, dealing with internal operations, dealing with a lot of other stuff beyond the actual service experience. I am unfortunately unable to argue that because I am fully with you on that. Yeah. In my work, I usually start with that, the yeah. contextual grounding and, and foundation. And only after that can we move on to talk about any service-related topics or questions or even work. Yeah. Because without it, it eventually it will backfire. Because what do you base your decisions on? But what it makes me also think is the way how you were talking about it, you highlighted the part that designers are responsible in. Yeah. But what do you also think about the other side? In in my experience, it's not just designers who are challenged to to get there. Of course, they are definitely guilty of either not wanting to do that or not recognizing it. But I also believe that in some cases, they are challenged in the reach of it. So how much businesses are willing to let designers get to that, you know? How much businesses are recognizing the, not just the opportunity, but the necessity to let designers in there, invite designers in there, share that with designers, dedicate the time and the co-creative parts of the work to that topic as well. What is your experience with that? Okay, now now I'm uh, I might be a little bit blunt. You need to put in the hard work. Yeah. And uh, my experience is that a lot of time, if you put in the hard work, then that will also get uh, recognized. And it's back to the role of the designer. So what is in service of the process? What is in service of the project? Yeah. What is in service of what you're going to deliver for that uh, organization? Yeah. And you have to consider that before you start to intervene. And yeah. I think a lot of people forget about that. And again, that ties back to understanding the context and understanding the drivers. So if you don't have that understanding, you're not able to intervene in the right moments in the right way. Yeah. And that's also why the exercise is pretty senior exercise to do because you need to have some experience and you need to have gone yes. in the trenches and yes. and felt how, how it's been there and you need to have make, made some mistakes as well. So that's the first first thing. And the other one is uh, maybe the fifth. Design doesn't happen in silos. We need to do it in collaboration with the people that are actually going to implement the work that we are figuring out for them. Yeah. Because if we don't do it, then two things happen. Chances are we will make uh, irrelevant uh, projects. Yes. It's high. Yes. And the other one is that for people to be able to implement and work with it and improve it, they need to be part of creating it and understanding the solution. And a lot of understanding of a solution is is in between the lines. And I think that is a super important point. And excuse me for, for that's the blunt part. I think that there is a lot of spoiled designers out there that is not willing to interact and engage with the people that they don't agree with. Uh, people that they don't see necessarily eye to eye with or that works in ways that uh, they don't like. I agree with you. Yeah. No need to apologize on this podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> but but that's one, one of the things that if we want to change the world, then we need to engage with the world in all its colors. I think what we just need to say out loud and accept, at least in the service design area of design, 
is that what being a designer means and um, why people decide to do this job needs to be accepted that it's changed than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that creates a confusion a little bit on both sides yeah. still. I mean, I think it will even out eventually. Yeah, yeah. But both what businesses expect from the word design, we talked about this quite a bit, whether yeah, yeah. this should be dropped at all or kept using it, and what people who join to be a designer also expect from it. Yeah, yeah. And, and also what, uh, how design evolves. So design wants to be much more now than it did 15 years ago. It wants to take a bigger piece of the cake. Yeah. And uh, you studied service design yeah. uh, 16 years ago, is that, or 15, something around that? 15. Yeah. That's a sign of, of and that was completely new back then. Yeah. It was. And, uh, and that's really just uh, borrowing and stealing methods from uh, other disciplines and putting them in a design context. And I think it's absolutely right. But the idols that we have is still. The idol wait, from... wait, what did you just say? That it was just stealing from other design disciplines? No, not other design disciplines, but other disciplines. Oh, just, yes. So you're borrowing a lot from uh, psychologies, from anthropology, and they're borrowing from... And there's no ownership there, so... I think in a way, service design is the result and the product of design redesigning itself. You know what it would yeah, do yeah. with other industries that you just, as you mentioned in the beginning, putting a different lens on the same thing. Yeah. I think that's what service design is the product of as well. Yeah. That, I mean, it's funny to think that in 2006, when I started that master's, yeah. that was pre-iPhone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was already sort of the dawn of the services era, but very yeah. early on. And then it blew up, right? With yeah. mobile technology and just how all a lot of the businesses and services moving into that digital and online space and interactions and everything that came along with that. It would be interesting to talk to the people who launched that program. What were the, you know, the trend signals that they had seen at the time yeah. to pick up on and put together such a program? When I went to the Chaos Pilot, it was from 2003 until 2006. I remember, I think it was Forbes that uh, did one of those uh, listings where uh, the top 10 or top 50 business schools and design schools and... Yeah and art schools and all that. And uh, the Chaos Palace was, I think it was top five of design schools in the world back then. And, and even though there's never been a product that uh, was designed, it's all about uh, processes and systematic change and uh, those kind of things. And I think that's a signal also of the change in, in design that suddenly schools that never identified as a design school. Yeah. But we had business design back then, and we had yeah. the process design and entrepreneurship and, and these kind of things. How much do you think having that background in entrepreneurship adds to what you do today? A lot. <laughs> Thank you. First of all, a little bit about my background. I, I, I thought it was very hard to sit still in school, and I thought it was very hard to stop asking questions. It was very hard to uh, be satisfied as well, so and that's not an easy mix. Yeah. The teachers at school back then, they told me I, I couldn't, because uh, you couldn't skate, you couldn't be curious, you couldn't be all of those kind of things. Yeah. And I hated that 
I wanted to get out of school, so I, I never finished a high school degree. Really? Because I didn't want to. I, I want to do movies and other things, and did well with that. But when you said you wanted to do movies, like just on your own, or did you go somewhere to learn? I participated in education, and I've always been like wanting to create my own. I think the difference now is I don't feel the need to work against anything right now. Uh, or in opposition too. I had that uh, urge back then. Yeah. I think I'm much more conservative as a person now. I don't want to say that I'm conservative. Less rebellious, maybe? Yeah. That and, and I had a long period when I didn't go to school as well. And uh, I didn't really feel well in that setting there. And that saved me quite a lot together with uh, my upbringing where you're supposed to take care of everybody before you take care of yourself. Yeah. So that followed me all my life. And it's a, it's a big stage of how I think. And, and the other big influence is the chaos pilots. Because it, it's asking all the difficult questions and urging you to explore those. Encourage you to dream and provide you with support to fulfill. And I think that's a magic mix. Is that how long has that school been running? It's still uh, still up in in Denmark in in uh, in Aarhus. Maybe we can briefly mention that you are actually Danish. By yeah. by the way, uh, I'm Danish. Yes. <laughs> I moved here uh, to Norway twelve years ago. Right. So sorry. Yeah. Back to the school. So it's still up and running in Denmark. Yeah. And I think it's quite quite unique that you have a schooling system where, yeah, you know, as I said, you you are encouraged to dream and uh, you're supported tools and methods and guidance in hopefully fulfilling those i mean what i hear what i'm hearing is that it's a school where they teach critical thinking yeah, yeah. and encourage like a creative take on things yeah you have a process design as uh, part of it and uh, also systems uh, thinking part of it i mean you know actually the the education that i had in italy it wasn't called service design per se it was called product service system design yeah yeah You say that what had a big influence on you was the part when you were not in an, in any education and then you needed to sort of process that. Did I get that right? It was not necessarily process that, but I've always felt like I need to do do things on my own. Yeah. Like uh, I need to take responsibility for getting good things to happen. And I think that comes from those experiences there. And I think it's the same now. With starting a company, I can really sense that I have a big drive for myself with yeah. making good things happen there. And I want to do that with a warm heart and a curious mind. And that's super important for me that I find a way where we can prove that by doing things a little bit differently, we can also build something that can be part of creating the, the change that, that we need to see happen. So how would you define the change that we need to see happen? Oh, that's on many levels. I, I think uh, back to uh, one of the most Im important things that we have in our company, uh, which is equality and and getting a, a better society there. I, I think it's uh, one of the biggest fights uh, that uh, we can fight. We need to secure that that happens on uh, all levels. And then there is environment, of course. So making sure that the, the world is moving in just a slightly better way. And then the last thing, and it's maybe, or it is tied to equality, but a more human-centered approach to central decisions. Okay. What do you mean by that? When people in power or people in position are part of taking decisions, I think it's absolutely key that those decisions are influenced by 
what design can deliver. And that's a human-centered approach to things. Design often provides slightly different arguments. By the way, I just want to add, I don't know if that was heard before, but turns out we are walking another walk that we wanted to walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. <laughs> Hope we make it to the airport. We will make it to the airport. So you mentioned earlier that it is paramount that if design wants to really have these lasting effects, it should go into the end-to-end process. It yeah. should take a responsible part in implementation. Yeah. And I think in one of the conversations we had before, you mentioned that the way how you guys do it is that at each iterative moment... You have to have somebody from the organization to... So yeah. how do you do it? How do you reach that state where design is taking part all the way into the implementation and there is responsibility on the company side? Again, it depends, but I know where, where you're coming from and, and why you're asking. One thing in, in all projects is that we make sure that we go a long way into securing that, that we are close to decision-making and, and uh, that the people that has a mandate to take decisions are involved close to the project and not only visiting it once in a while. Yeah. But how it looks like depends. What we have done previously uh, that has been very effective is to upfront in preparation for a change process, talk with senior management whether it's one or two or more people that needs to take a decision. What we have said to them is that we're going to work with an iterative approach to making change. And how it's going to happen is that we're going out. First of all, agreeing on the frameworks, what is in, what is out. Yeah. Like, we need to identify the playing field. That needs to be clear. At the, in the very beginning? Of in the, the very beginning, yeah. We can do that with only in a, in a board meeting if, the, if that's needed for them. But, like... If, if we're good, then we do it as a collaborative process with uh, more people as well. But when all that is done, then, then we prepare the people in charge of decision-making to, to say that, okay, now we're going to out and we're going to ask the people what is missing for you to perform your best and to succeed with what it is that you're going to succeed with. Yeah. And that can be services to children or uh, <laughs> yeah. products that you need to commercialize or can be many things. Then they feed that back and uh, we do a short inside round, not not necessarily with everybody. It could be one-to-one, it can be in groups. And then we agree, okay, we'll take this, these are the ideas that you have come up with and these needs that you have come up with. We'll ask if we can change that, if we can uh, do what you're suggesting to do. So in that case, you are kind of a med- mediator. We're more of a mediator, yeah. We're getting things up. Yeah, and that's back to being being the helper of of a process. What is actually needed? Yeah, and oftentimes it's a way of communicating. Yes. Yeah. The curious things about people is that I don't think I've ever met anyone who's not interested in in succeeding. Yeah. Yes. We can have different ideas of what success uh, looks like, but it's not an attitude problem. Yeah. <laughs> what we also talk about then is. If you get get it how you want it to be, then you have no room for complaints anymore. <laughs> yes. So you better know in, in upfront what it is that you want to achieve. Yeah, and it's not a set in stone. You need to have mechanism again for, for correcting it. If the assumptions prove to be wrong or yeah. if the assumptions prove to be 
only right in some degrees, then, then we need the ability to change. So it's not a one-stop process, it's an iterative process where you return to it and, and you have some sort of frequency in, in that returning to it. And then we go back to management and say, you better say yes. And we prep them up, uh, up front, of course. And then we feed it back to the organization. Okay, now the decision is make, made. It's up to you to make it make it work. Right. And I think that's a, like the concept of commitment is a, is an interesting one in this. And um, and it's super nice to see when 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 people understand the, that you know what I I actually have to throw it's them and us away now. Yeah. Because now it's me. <laughs> yes. And it's us. With corporations. It sometimes tends to be a fight for position. Yeah. How do you count that into this conversation? Like, you know, I find that working with corporations, sometimes it is hard to generate a place, a space where people feel comfortable enough to raise their hands. I'm going to take this simply because it's hard for them to legitimize that all throughout the hierarchy, right? Yeah. What is your experience with that attitude? What happens if nobody raises a hand? I'm going to do it. Again, it depends, but that's where you need to think about yourself as a as a process consultant and not necessarily as a designer anymore. You can be a designer, but then it's a designer of interventions between people. Yes. <laughs> One thing I've done before is just to write it up. So if you you often sit there with a big group or yeah. the people involved and if you just write with capital letters on the board so no one wants to do anything <laughs> do you do that yeah you do that yeah love it and then just sit back on the chair <laughs> and what happens then then you sit and wait until people start to say something because the thing is also people cannot uh, they cannot live in silence i mean people get very uncomfortable very quickly yes it's true And then, of course, there is variations of this. It's not something that you can always do. But it's one of the toolboxes, just reflecting what is happening. Yep. Because it is what is happening. No one is raising their voice. Do you go into the why? Or do you just wait until some conversation springs up? In those kind of moments, I, I wait until uh, that conversation starts. And then you start working with that, whatever emerges. Uh-huh. I see. You mentioned that if in that you can call yourself a designer, but then you have to call yourself a designer of, uh, how do you say? Interventions. Uh, interventions between people. Yeah. I Before you said that, I was thinking, if we look at the journey, if we, if we have a chance to support the process end-to-end, how do you see that the role of, uh, I don't know what to call it, this service designer, but you know whoever is in that role... Yeah. How does the changes between a design role, a meditator role, a mirror role throughout the journey? I think that can change your, throughout the day. Okay. And we have, like you, you talked about uh, recruitment uh, before and what we're looking for. And, yeah. Uh, we are looking for the people that are willing to let egos aside and do whatever it takes in order yeah. to move the process forward. And I think that's it's a part of that. And then there's a couple of things that we shouldn't... Uh, we have some dirty tricks up our sleeves. So one thing is to make things look nice. 
like the power of visualization never goes old. Yes. And the power of using that as a mediator between people yeah. and people or people and gold, that's extremely powerful. Yeah. And that goes for other settings as well, like how you set up a room or all these kind of things that we can be mindful of and, and where we have an advantage, I, I believe. We had an interesting discovery when we started out our company. We asked all of the previous customers that we had from before, what is it that you appreciate by working with us? Yeah. And one of the things that came back, which maybe not was a surprise, but the weight of the feedback they provided to us. Yeah. Like they had two things that stood out. Yeah. That was something that everybody said. One thing was that we worked really hard and that we were diligent about our work. Yeah. The other thing that they came back with was that it's so much fun to work with you guys. And we have said that for ourselves, we want to be the prioritized the transformational partner in, in change here in the, the region that we live in. So yeah. we want to work local first and then uh, broaden out. So we have international ambitions, but uh, we want to mean something local first. We have said that we are going to do that by being without compromise on quality. That's an ideal. And then we need to leave the room with more energy than when we came in. With more energy than when you came in? Yeah. You mean like the room or also yourself? Like also ourselves. I, I think that goes together. Ooh, that's something I could learn from. And you know, those little things, and it can can be everything in a, in a project setting. Like a lot of times if we work with the client and work at the client's office, yes. and that happens all the time, and then we make sure to bring some of the stuff that they don't have. In some settings, it can be candy, just as uh, cheesy as that, but just having a candy station. I mean, I would like to point out that in your office, yeah, I love <laughs> that you walk in and you actually lit can light candles. Yeah. And it creates a very cozy atmosphere. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in an office where the candles were lit. And, and that's our one major investment. That's the facilities that we sit in. Yeah. And where we work from. Why? Because I, I strongly believe that design matters again. We talked about it yes. in an earlier conversation as uh, design being perceived as luxury. Yes. But it do affect behavior. Yeah. And we have gone a long way into making sure that the office can be a home away from home in a way. Without saying that uh, we need to be a family. We wanted to provide a a feeling of safety and a feeling of um, community. A feeling of a place where you can express yourself. Yeah, I think that's quite beautiful, actually. And, and, and the whole, I haven't talked about it that much, but the whole concept of beauty is very important. I agree. I mean, we did talk about design, how depending where you're looking at it from, it's a luxury or it's a necessity. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, at least in my own behavior, to observe how I feel about what you say and what I what I experience here. Because in a way, it really seems like a, a safe space for growth and beauty and caring. Yeah. And I feel like where I come from, even though it's also a bit of a complicated question where I come from, as in I cannot just point, you know, one place as a background. But I'm much more used to... Live in and work and 
creating an environment that's much more vol volatile yeah. and having to be somewhat alert to a certain level. And it almost gives me anxiety to think that I don't have to do that. You know, yeah, when yeah. they say with also with trauma, when people sort of don't know what to do with when it's not there. Yeah, yeah. Like you would look around and always don't know where the danger is coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happens when uh, politics en enters the room, I guess. And that's back to the, the, like the governing principles that I talked about in the beginning, that if you cannot be transparent, then uh, yes. we have a problem. It's also important in, in that discussion to recognize that we are coming from different places. Yes. So back to the why design is maybe more advantaged here compared to other places is also part of how things work in the Nordics and how you're brought up here. Employee rights stands very strong. And uh, a lot of it is regulated by, by law as well. And that helps. This also brings me back to an, uh, an argument slash study that one of our cohorts made or, or wrote yeah. from Service Design Next. You know, Mauricio yeah. Manhas. I hope, Mauricio, I pronounced your name correctly. <laughs> If not, apologies. But he did a big study asking service designers about their experiences with their career journey. Yeah. He put together a map along those stages, marking what challenges people had. And then he made a conclusion that the experiences that appeared along the journey, yeah. they all correlate to the notion that design represents values in business yeah. that are attached to like a female quality. Yeah. And with that, it's almost viewed as, ah, oh, it's just some soft core thing. Why would we value that as much as the more masculine values? Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if that has anything to do also with how the gender situation is here in the Nordics versus anywhere around the world. Very much so. And, and actually, uh, I think I told you this in a previous conversation that uh, I tested out a, an AI chat robot and uh, yeah. it consistently took me for a woman. <laughs> How did you find it out that it took you for a woman? It just replied to my sex or <laughs> the wrong sex uh, in that case uh, many times. Like, uh, it can be tough being a hardworking woman, uh, taking care <laughs> really? of three kids and a dog and, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, and it empathized uh, very much with it, but uh, still... The stereotype was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was just saying that I was uh, home doing the dishes, and soon I had to put uh, three kids to bed, so there was a lot around my ears at the, at the time. And I tested it out with uh, different phrases, and uh, I thought it was super interesting. Or not. Actually a little bit uh, scary, maybe, in, in that sense, that we associate care and... Empathy. Do we, empathy, and, but also... Back to the office life, all the invisible work, like making sure that there's a clean desk, yes. or in our case, that there is a clean kitchen. Those kind of qualities associated with being a woman. And that's back to the, the office as well, that, that we shouldn't promote a role and uh, provide extra financial uh, reward or extra status to a role. Because it is saying also that, that something is more important than the other. 
of course you can have something that is not the right thing to do. Yeah. That's not, not it. But if you uh, identify things as the right things to do in order to keep a company afloat and thriving, yeah. then it should also be looked at as the same. If that is uh, lighting candles and putting uh, flowers on the table and remembering to do that and, and having a structure of uh, actually maintaining that over time, then that should be the same reward as uh, maintaining and structuring numbers over time. Yeah. What are your hopes slash fears for AI? I think the fear is a little bit back to manifesting uh, certain qualities with certain sex or with other attributes. We already have it, but I'm uh, afraid that it's just going to uh, enforce that. The same thing with how we look and how we perceive what we are supposed to be. Yeah. It feels like a lot of things that comes out, at least of now from the models, is a polished w version of what is supposed to be a human. Yes. So maybe that's uh, what I'm most afraid of, is that it gets rid of all the dirty stuff in a way. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> uh, like life is is more interesting when when there is a not, when, not perfect. Yeah, and when you can see the the beauty in, in the imperfection of things as well. That's something that I'm afraid of. That uh, it will push in that direction. And what it is that you hope for? I mean, work wise, mostly. One more thing that I'm uh, that I don't hope for, but uh, that I can be a little bit scared about is if if we think that AI is a shortcut for solving all of our problems yeah and yeah. understanding and in the same way that uh, I think learning happens when you write with a pen oh, oh oh well that's that's one way of when learning happens yeah 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 but but still there is something about the the process of actually doing things instead of just getting an answer that is yeah part of a learning and and the same thing goes for when you figure stuff out yeah so instead of just getting the response back then yes uh, figuring stuff out is, is a major part of the learning and, and growing up and as in in other words sorry but in other words to making mistakes as well yeah 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 so that would be another one uh, i think for the hopes back to uh, communication i think i hope that uh, ai can be a mediator between people and that it can take the role of, of actually bringing the, the intentions to center of things. Have you used it for work yet? I've used it a little bit. That's more like text suggestions and such. And I find that it's, it's, it's never good enough and it's probably my own fault. As in how you ask questions? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'm not uh, very technology interested. I get bored very quickly with, with things and I don't have any patience to try to figure out how it's supposed to work. Right. I'm afraid I'm, I'm not the best person to converse on AI. I mean, I think it's very interesting to talk to someone who is not doing it as well. It's not that I... I don't think that how you define the best person is who knows the most about it. Yeah. I would, I would be just curious to hear how you formulate your opinion about it. We had an interesting discovery so i'm not saying that it cannot be used like a colleague of ours did some insight on ourselves yep and taking all those insights and and getting help with grouping that into value propositions yeah there i was surprised how that clustering got done by the ai and how that was translated into value propositions because that was maybe more precise or at least it gave me food for thought on how can we be more precise on what it is that we actually deliver and what space that we're actually entering into. Yeah.
that is maybe reflecting our conversation a little bit more than what we think we should uh, say. Yes. Yeah, words matter. Yeah. And how would you create by them? What then? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to still share? And maybe two things. Yes. I really hope to see design landing on its feet in a good way. We managed to being clear about what what kind of value is it that we're providing to the customers, to the users, to the world as a whole, and come together as a as a community. Not that we should be the same, but at least um, uh, that we have some common frameworks or ideals and, and such. And I, I feel that is changing a little bit now. And then I have one wish, and that is I hope that designers don't fall into the trap of being victims. How so? Being victims of um, customers that don't get it. <laughs> or being okay. victims of the big consultancies that don't get it or explore it. And being a victim of self-pity for not getting the position that we want. Both because it's not a good position to be in as an individual to feel that the others are against you or that uh, something wrong is happening to you. That's, yes. that's not good a good driver of anything. It's not going to take the design field anywhere. And I think there is a risk for that. So that's my hope and prayer in a way. Do you have any advice for someone who feels that way? How to get out of that? Hmm. Maybe start with acknowledging if, uh, if that is actually happening with the conversation. I think that's an individual thing to figure out what what is it that it takes to move myself or us as a community or away. Now Julie is stopping to take pictures of uh, a big Santa Claus in the in the sunshine here <laughs> with the tractor on the side. Yeah, it's just a lot of things all at once. I also just want to say thank you for the walk. It's been an absolutely delight and a pleasure. Thank you for dedicating time to this walk yeah so i really appreciate the time spent together and the insights and opinions and experiences that you shared and for taking me out on this beautiful beautiful walk yeah thank you morten thank you julie and thank you to the listeners who have been with us and thank you to max and thanks to max yes as usual let us know if you have any thoughts or questions about the topics that have been said on this walk we are happy to answer that i hope i think more than two i'm going to speak in his name here <laughs> yes. and looking forward to hear you the next time around bye bye thank you for listening today's episode was recorded in stavanger norway original music by white hot from freebeats.io we would love if you got in touch with us you can find us on instagram at at.puddles.products and from this week on you can also find us on linkedin we would love if you followed our page and this way we could be in closer touch with you guys we would like to wish everyone a happy holiday plenty of time out on fresh air listening to inspiring podcasts and reading inspiring content let us know what it is that you read about that you listen to we would love to hear where your mind is at and what are the topics that keep you on your toes 
Bye and see you next year.